I just want to say good morning, Lakewood. I'm Steve Anderson, and I'm your interim pastor to help you during these days when we're preparing uh, and finding our next resident pastor. Thanks for receiving us so warmly. It's great to have Harriet with me today. Uh, we started moving into our apartment yesterday with wonderful help, and we actually slept there last night, so we feel like uh, we're getting settled. Before I preach today, I want to just say a few words about preaching during the interim. I know that you are a church that loves expository preaching, and I do too. In my years as a career preaching pastor, most of the time it was verse-by-verse expository preaching. But in my church, I had decades to influence and teach them. I could take months and months to go through Romans or the Gospel of John or the Old Testament prophets. I'm not going to be here long. And there are some important things churches need to hear during the interim. And um, that lends itself to topical preaching. Um, And um, we'll likely do some expository in a few weeks uh, also. Uh, As we look for your next pastor, I just want to encourage you that Uh, At the top of our list is going to be to find someone whose preaching style meets our needs and expectations. But for this interim time, I hope you'll uh, give me your attention and your open hearts uh, as uh, we listen to the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of God's Word as I preach. You know, Jesus in the Gospels never preached an expository sermon. Neither did the Apostle Paul or the other apostles. So obviously, God can use different styles of preaching. But please, give me your attention and your open hearts during this time as we look at critical truths that every believer and every church needs to hear. Okay? Join me in prayer. Lord, we love you. We're amazed that you would love us and want to have anything to do with us. And yet you invite us not only to come to know you personally through Jesus Christ and come into relationship with you, but then you have invited us to partner with you in your work. Teach us more about that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one of those conversations uh, you shouldn't forget because there was a huge aha in it. We were coming to the end of a missions month when one of our small group leaders in Owatonna stepped into my office with a kind of a confused and troubled look on her face. Pastor, she said, we had those missionaries in our small group last night, and now I've got a question. What makes them missionaries? What makes them missionaries? Um, They're over there in Central Asia uh, teaching computer science, that's very similar to my husband's job here. Um, They're witnessing to their neighbors like we are entertaining them, bringing them into our home and sharing Christ with them. As much as I can tell, she said, they are doing pretty much what we do here. What makes them missionaries? And I said, that's a great question. Because I've been thinking about that too. Just recently, I had had a conversation with missionary Tom Ellison from Japan. And as near as I could tell, he was doing pretty much what I do as pastor of a church here in the United States. So yeah, what makes the Ellisons missionaries? You know what? 
The only difference in a missionary is that God has called them to a different land and to go over there and do there what God is asking us to do here. There's not a lot of difference between your calling and their calling. God loves the folks next door to you just as much as he loves the folks who live on the other side of the world. God loves the kids on your street just as much as he loves those little kids in Haiti with swollen bellies. Did you know that right here, right now, is your mission field? But let me tell you a bit about our mission field. We live in challenging times here in the United States. People have questions about God like never before. People are spiritually interested. Just ask them. They say they are spiritual. They're curious and seeking, and yet with increasing frustration and resistance, they are also saying, but I'm not interested in organized religion. Church, I don't think that's relevant. Church seems all wrapped up in itself. Organized religion is abusive and corrupt, they say, only in it for the power and money. Our neighbors are interested in Jesus. They want to understand God. They would like to experience spiritual reality, but programs and buildings and preaching and church are not going to reach them like it's been in the past. George Barna's research showed that 61% of America's young adults were involved in the church at one point during their teen years, but have fallen away and chose to leave. One-fifth, 20%, stayed connected to the church. That's not a good statistic. In America, Western Europe, the church is, quite frankly, in trouble. While in much of the rest of the world, the church is moving forward, bringing people to salvation, loving people into relationship with the Lord, Christianity is on the move, even in Muslim lands. But in America, the statistics show that we have perhaps one generation before the church is just altogether gone. While we've been focusing the gospel on the, other en on the ends of the earth, which Jesus told us to do, we've lost focus on our own country. Listen to this. In 1900, in the U.S., there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 1950, there were 17 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In the year 2000, there were 12 churches per 10,000 Americans. And in 2006, there were 10 churches per 10,000 Americans. 2010, eight churches per 10,000 Americans. And this last decade has continued that discouraging trend. Every year, 4,000 churches close their doors and go out of existence. And for every 10 that close, only one new church is started. 10 die for every church planted. 80% of our churches are either, um, I'm sorry, 80% of Americans are considered unchurched now, having no contact at all with a church during the course of a year. That means that only 20% are churched, and of those 20%, only half would be classified as committed believers caring at all about sharing their faith. 80% of churches are plateaued or declining. 
And if you count the unchurched, America is now the third largest mission field in the world. In the average church, it takes 100 believers one whole year to win one person to Jesus Christ. And all the while, Americans are more interested in God than ever. They have a very positive view of Jesus. They deeply want to say that they are spiritual people, but the scandals and the selfishness and the materialism and the soft, easy Christianity practiced by most churches add to that the politicization of evangelicalism causes people to go to hell by the millions. We've gotten distracted from the heart of God, from the passion of Jesus, from his love for those who are lost. And we have a smaller and smaller influence on society, fewer and fewer results that Jesus would call fruit, and the world sees us as more and more irrelevant and out of touch with every passing year. We have got to get back to a New Testament kind of faith, a faith that had meaning and power as those apostles and early believers turned their world upside down for Jesus. There was a change of strategy in New Testament proclamation, and I think you could call it taking the gospel on the road. In Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus is on the road with, his two, with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. In Acts 8, Philip takes, on, takes it on the road and witnesses to an African Ethiopian government official. You remember that story? Acts 9, God interrupts Paul on the road to Damascus. In Acts 10, Peter is given a powerful vision of God's favor on others who are not Jews, and he takes it on the road to a Roman centurion in Caesarea. Now understand this, the Jewish belief was that while God is everywhere, you must come to the temple to meet God. All of you who are curious, all of you who are interested, come in here and we will introduce you to God. But there's a change, a shift in the New Testament, a radical new paradigm. Those who know God, because they've accepted Jesus, they take it to the road. They take it to the streets. And through the powerful witness of how God has changed their lives and through the wonderful testimony of what God could do to bless people who had no interest in coming to the temple, God meets people in the streets, meets them in the marketplace. God meets people uh, wherever they are found, and the gospel goes on the road to touch people and transform their lives. So in Acts 13, it's Paul and Barnabas taking it on the road to spread the gospel up into what we call Turkey today, to Asia Minor. And in the gospel, uh, and in the gospel God touches people in Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas double their effort. Each go a different way. They say, let's split up and we'll do twice as much. The Lord works and people's lives are transformed. In Acts 18, it's a bunch of Christians who are taking the gospel all over the place and through them in subsequent generations, that it is through them that God reaches out to you. God has sent His Son 
God is not sitting someplace off in a temple where you, where you must come and find Him. God is not off someplace where in heaven, distant and unconcerned. God is not in the temple as though you've got to come and find Him. God comes to find you, and He comes in the person of Jesus to bless you and help you and rescue you and change you. God is a missional God. He's always on mission. God, to be God, has this passionate compulsion to reach you and love you and help you and send His love to save you. In fact, all the way back in Genesis, we can see it. The promise to Abraham. Abraham, who hardly knew who God was, God called him and and sent him and promised that if Abraham would leave his place of ease and comfort, God through him would bless all of the peoples of the earth. And that's why the Jews had it so wrong. Jehovah is not a come here kind of God. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a coming to you kind of God. He comes to find us. He's a missional God. He's an on-mission God. And all the way through Scripture, you find God going and sending and reaching, extending Himself to rescue us. In His nature, God is a missional sending God. Mission is not just something God does. Mission is who He is. At the very core of who God is, it's His nature to reach out to His creation. And you might even feel God reaching out to you now, right now. He uses the struggles and the challenges and the relationships of our lives to show us just how much we need Him. Even in our struggles and pain, God is extending Himself and His love and His grace and His mercy to us. God is a missional sending God. And the place you see that the clearest is in the incarnation when God sends Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus sends the Spirit into us. And the Spirit sends Jesus' followers into the world. You know the Great Commission. Let's look at it for just a moment. Matthew 28. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, sent by the Father. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Matthew, Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, God has always had in mind that Jesus' followers would join Him in His mission to reach the world. And when His church gets focused inward, when God's mission, the thing that is the top priority in God's heart, Uh, when God's mission to reach the lost is ignored, the church has lost its way. And God's blessing is short-circuited. And don't be surprised if the world thinks we're irrelevant. Why do we come here Sunday by Sunday? 
We come to worship God. Yes, we do. We come to learn better how to obey Jesus. Absolutely. We come to fellowship with sisters and brothers in Jesus. Yes, all right. But, but if we don't have in our expectation that we come here to get filled up so that we can take Jesus to the streets, we've ignored the most important part of our calling. Can you see this? The church is like a filling station. It's here where we tank up so that we can go to the world, so that we can go to those Jesus is missing, so that we can extend ourselves into the lives of broken, struggling, lost people who need the Lord. God extended Himself through us as He reaches the world through us. So there are two kinds of churches. Attractional churches. If you come here, we'll tell you about Jesus. Come here with us. The worship is great. The kids' programs are awesome. Youth ministry is grand. Come and get involved in a group. Attractional churches are all about come to us. Missional churches are all about we take it from here out there. We come to be strengthened and challenged, but our focus is out there, taking Jesus to the streets. Are we a missional church? Why do you ask, Steve? Because attraction isn't working anymore. In the words of one of Pastor Brent's favorite books, Canoeing the Mountains, what got us here won't get us there to reach our world. Only missional churches full of missional Jesus followers are going to make a difference in today's world. Now let me tell you that I believe in, that in the heart of every authentically born-again Bible-believing Christian is a desire to join God in reaching the lost. If you're a Christian, I know you want to. I, you know in your heart that God didn't assign missions to just the apostles, that God didn't give missions just to those who go to the ends of the earth. You know that the Great Commission was not just for spiritual stormtroopers, I know you want to join God in His mission to the world. You want to be Jesus' hands and His voice and His love into the lives of those who are lost. How do I know that? Because if you're an authentic believer, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. Jesus sent His Spirit into you and the Holy Spirit is reorienting your motives and desires to be like God's motives and desires that's true if you're a genuine believer i believe you want to but many of us get stalled in fear i don't know what i'd say i don't know what to do i know you want to or we get so preoccupied with greasing the wheels in the church that we've lost our mission so let me help you this morning with how to step into your calling. 
There are a bazillion ways to share your faith and partner with God, extending yourself to reach the lost. There are a bazillion ways. So let me give you principles. Let me give you this morning four principles for you to live missionally. And you might want to write these down. They all start with P. The first is proximity. Relational closeness. Who is there in your life who needs Jesus? You know, years ago in our Oatana church, uh, we launched our first small groups, growth groups we call them, and they were built on a particular small group model. We started out with three groups. We started with our best leaders. And as part of every group, we would grow together by studying God's Word. We would support one another by praying for each other. And we would learn how to share our faith and tell people about Jesus. And then we scheduled outreaches every six months ago. Evangelistic parties is what they were, where we'd invite friends who didn't know Jesus, and we would arrange those parties so that our friends would hear how Jesus could change their life, and they'd know how to become Jesus followers. But you know what we discovered? Our church leaders, almost all of them, didn't have any close relationships with people who need Jesus. None. We, and I, I say we because it was me too. We had isolated ourselves from the lives of those who are not yet believers. We hung around with church people. Our significant relationships were all with people who lived like us and believed like us and talked like us and had Jesus like us. And we'd even come to imagine that that's what God wanted us to do. We were wrong. How do I know we were wrong? I know by looking at the one a Jesus follower follows. If I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I'd better be a Jesus follower and do it His way. Who did Jesus hang around with? Church people? Hardly. Look at Matthew 9.10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That was Jesus' pattern. He hung around the people who were defined as sinners. Look at Luke 7, 37. Here's the story of a woman who washed Jesus' feet with perfume and her tears. The Bible tells us she was a notorious sinner. She had a bad reputation. That was a loose woman. And Jesus said about her, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. Or let me make the case a slightly different way. In the Gospels, there were there are 132 different stories 
of Jesus' encounters with people. Church conversations? Look, of all those conversations, only six were in the temple. Only four were in the synagogue. The rest, 122 of them, were in the streets, in the mainstream of life. Jesus didn't do the come to church thing. He took it to the streets. And so will you if you are a Jesus follower. Second, presence. It's not enough just to be near lost people. You've got to be the presence of Jesus with them. Now listen, Jesus was not stiff and stodgy. Jesus was not pious and boring. He was real and authentic and, and graceful and helpful. People liked being near Him. And He went where they are. He didn't isolate Himself in Christian prayer meetings. He was out there. And He loved people like they were. He talked with them about the real hard issues of life. He was known for that. So much so that church people in His day didn't quite know what to make of Him. In fact, they called Him a friend of sinners. Are you a friend of sinners? I mean a real friend of sinners. then you'd better follow Jesus. But Pastor Steve, that, that feels so risky. I've pulled back from relationships like that. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because if you're a Jesus follower, you better be imitating Jesus. Third, powerlessness. And that's about, all about loving people in their pain. Ministering to them in their struggle. Listen, everybody's broken. Some just don't know it yet. Every human being on the face of this earth is broken and needy because we were all born into a world that breaks people. Sin breaks people. We're in a world where sin damages everything it touches. And if you take it from Jesus, you love people in their pain. Jesus did. Remember John 4? Jesus with the woman at the well. Her life was broken by a series of romantic relationships that, that just devastated her life. And Jesus loved her, offered her living water, offered her real life. John 5, the pool of Bethesda. Hundreds of blind and crippled and paralyzed lay there because they believed that when the water bubbles, the first one in the water will be healed. Doesn't it amaze you how Jesus heals only one man there in the presence of hundreds. We ask, why only one man? 
Why does Jesus only say to one guy, do you want to be healed? Because there comes a time in the life of a broken person when they are open for Jesus to heal them and Jesus knew this was his time. And the broken people around you, there's a time when they will be more open to the gospel. But will you be there in their life when that time comes? Most of us aren't as insightful as Jesus. He could see every heart. So we're going to have to be their friend and be their companion if we're going to offer Jesus when their heart is tender and when they know they need him. Did you know that almost all of us, especially those who have come to Jesus as adults, almost all of us came to Jesus in pain and brokenness. And so your not yet believer friends, they need you to love them in their struggle and to be there when their life falls apart and when their hopes are dashed and their heart is in pain. To pray for, no, to pray with them. That's a powerful thing. Not just to hand out answers, but to pray with them that God would take them through, that God was blazed through into the confusion of their life. Last principle we'll, we'll mention this morning to live missionally, proclamation. Oh, not a sermon. Not a bunch of cheap answers. And so you ask, Steve, what have I, what have I got to proclaim? Your story. That's what it means to be a witness. You tell your story. That's the only thing you're really an expert at when you come to think about it. You tell your story of how Jesus found you and rescued you and changed you and gave you hope and a forever future. You don't have to be an expert on anything else except how Jesus saved you and blessed you and He's helping you. Now, I know that when we hear about evangelism, many of us are going, yeah, I want to, and I know I should, but I'm afraid of getting in over my head. I'm afraid of not doing it perfect enough. And that keeps many of us doing nothing. Some of us are even afraid of getting our hands soiled by the world. Well, we better think that one through as a follower of the one who left heaven's purity for this dirty earth. Listen, I really believe God is calling you and me to get out of Christian ghettos and engage with lost people and love them until they ask us about Jesus. But Steve, in the church here, it's safe and comfy. Out there, wow, it doesn't seem safe out there. It wasn't safe for the one we follow, was it? And when did Jesus ever promise us safe? When has someone on mission ever been comfy? 
Can I share this with you as we close? Um, it's one of the things that God has used to shake me up, and, and it's a poem by a guy by the name of Adrian Plass, and I read it often because it calls me out of comfort and into mission. Let God use it to challenge you about taking risks to love the lost. Let it shake your soul. It sure has mine. The title is When I Became a Christian, and it's by Adrian Plass. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I think. I think, amen, amen, I think. I, I think I say amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord, and I say amen. I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. You still want to follow me? I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit, a bit, I say, amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say I could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made up my mind, and I say amen a bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while and tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You'll need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can I just run through that again? You say I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me. A quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you. Not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen. I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said. I'd like to follow you but I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go, man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know, man enough to say the things that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane and loneliness and fear. And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry? When nails break your body, are, are you man enough to die, 
man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown, man enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for reaching out to us. We are so grateful for our salvation, for forgiveness that was given us through your blood. We are so thankful that you have been changing us, conforming us to the image of your Son. Thank you, Lord. We, we love being your children. We love being your kids. God, forgive us that we've been trying to keep the blessing to ourselves. Not intentionally, but that seems to be the way it's happened. Lord, change us. Because to you, we want to say, really, amen.